Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Beat out old trouble on drum, beat out old trouble on drum, and kick old trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum, beat me that rhythm on the drum, beat me that rhythm on the drum, and kick old trouble out the door. Here we are on Radical Australia. Anonymous has set up the panel. Dale's not here. It's a public holiday. Everybody thought it was going to be a pre-recorded program. But our guest stepped into the breach. Now, if the quality of the show goes a little bit off, do not despair. We don't have nobody behind the panel. We will be on autopilot. And my guest is a little bit pissed off about this. <laughs> But I'll explain to her that you've got to be here 40 years before you're given that privilege. Now, we have here in the guest, not in the guest, she is the guest, in the room here at 3CR 402 Radical Australia. My name's Joseph Toscano, hosting the program, in the canoe, ready for the paddle. Now, I always get the name wrong. Susie, no, Suze Sholm. That was very good. You did well. Oh, thank you. Now, <laughs> now look, would you just pronounce it for the... Sue Sholem. You said I can't it spot it. on, first time. Sue Sholem, I can't believe it. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've got no idea the type of people that come into this studio. I can imagine. And the complicated names they have, like Smith and Brown. Oh, my God. It's Smith? You're uh, kidding. I know, I know. And because we're on autopilot, don't worry, they're listening outside, and if something horrible happens that you try to strangle me because of the impertinence of my questions, they'll race <laughs> in and help us, all right? Glad to know you've got support. Yeah. Now, look, I only asked two questions. Two. Yeah, two, two. You have 55 minutes. There's no community announcements. No music. Mm. The Taliban and Cromwell were right. <laughs> Disgusting thing, music. And uh, I don't know why 3CR plays so much music. I can understand oh, it's like it. Footloose up in here. Yeah, I can understand the community announcements. I remember when we first started, it was all talk, talk, talk. And now, 41 years later, it's all music, music, music. <laughs> Maybe two young people will blame for that. Yeah, the kids these days. Yeah, the kids these days. Now, while we're talking about kids these days, first question. Mm. What year were you born? Just to orientate people. Uh, 1984. You are a kid. I'm relatively a kid, comparatively yeah. to some. Well, you are a kid. <laughs> I feel quite old these days. 34. And whenever, 34. 34. 34. You did, and, yep. you, and, you feel, and you feel old. I feel old, yeah. At 34. I do. I also feel quite young, so there's no denying that. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm almost, almost double your age. I'll be double your age next year, but I'm almost double your age. Oh. That's this, I mean, I feel Elderly. <laughs> Talking decrepit. to me particularly. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, at a 40 foot, we've had a 19 year old, and I'm thinking, oh. I had this 19 year old coming to the studio, and I'm thinking, this man's 19, this boy, young man, he's 19. What, is, what has he done in his life? <laughs> and by the program, I, I realised he was a radical overachiever. He got expelled from kindergarten. <laughs> Start him young. <laughs> now, the second question, very easy, <laughs> and we just do variations of the question as we wander along. What's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Oh. Mm. Um, 
It's a good question. Uh, uh, I like that it's your second question. Good follow-up. <laughs> um, interestingly, my first words probably, right. which I feel like maybe is indicative of where I've ended up in life, which were meet, me do. Me do. Me do. Me do. Yep, me do. Me do. Anytime anyone tried to do anything for me as a little, you know, toddler or whatnot, I'd say, me do. Me do. And, um. Well, that puts our 19 <laughs> year old who was expelled from kindergarten to shame. <laughs> I started. You, you were starting before that. <laughs> Already onto it. Autonomous onto being it. at two. <laughs> at two. You go, me do. Me do. Piss Back off. off. <laughs> oh, are your parents still alive? They're doing well, actually. They Quite do. supportive of my autonomy. <laughs> Would you like to maybe give us an idea of that name, where they come from? and The name, as mm. in, like, my parents? The mm. Yep. Um, oh, is that a made-up name? Was no, yeah, that's my pseudonym, yeah. <laughs> I just made it really hard for funsies. <laughs> Ironically, actually, my mother's maiden name is Smith, and so I have, I suppose, a slightly um, colonised uh, family on that side. My mother is like a combination Welsh, British, um, Irish, all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, my father has a German-Jewish background, mm-hmm. so um, his family fled the Nazis in World War Two, which is quite an interesting story, actually. Um, both my grandparents separately fled and then met in South Africa, where my father was born after a lot of Jews migrated and then had a cute little singles club mixer for all of the unattached Jews in Johannesburg. Hang on, hang on. Let's go back a step. Yeah. A cute little singles club. I don't know. Maybe cute's not the right word, but like basically no. they had dating opportunities for single Jews because there were well, so many of them that you migrated. You realise that in the <laughs> Jewish community, which I'm very familiar with, mm-hmm. I'm not Jewish, but... I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. Some of my best friends are Jewish. Oh, oh. <laughs> dot, 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 the sign. Exactly. <laughs> that sentence. Is that a, uh, a marriage broker was uh, essential in those days. Mm. When you got, it was not just the two people coming together, it was the oh, families. No. Totally, totally. Totally, yeah. yeah. So what? So this was, these were radicals even then. They didn't have <laughs> marriage brokers. They had a little club where you <laughs> eyed off the wallflowers. Yeah, and not even eyed off, just paired them off according to compatibility or life um, pathways, perhaps. Uh-huh. Mm, you're a domestic woman. You're a uh, um, doctor uh, man. Let's uh, put you two together. Is this, this what happened to your mum and dad? Is uh, it? To my grandparents, yeah. Your grandparents? Grandparents, yeah. So they got together. They got together and yeah. um, migrated around the world, actually. My, um, what do you mean they migrated around the well, world? How can you migrate around the I world? I don't know. My grandfather was agoraphobic. And so they traveled the world searching for a cure and ended up in Australia, actually, which is a really unusual story. But, um, yeah, oh, he... Just, did they settle on the Nullarbor Plain or something? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have probably been ideal because the cure they found here did not work. <laughs> what was the cure? Uh, it was actually a lichotomy, which was... Um, Whoa! I know. Whoa! Yep. What year was that, 56 Yeah, something? pretty much, back in the day. That, that were the good old days yeah. in medicine, being a doctor. Yeah. You know, oh, it's great when you could do what you like. Just brains. cut out people's brains. You know, yeah, see no, how no, no, it went. No, no, hang on, hang on. I did, I did two years of neurosurgery. That's, mm. that's, that, I don't take, that's not nice. No, it, it's very well, much not nice. We didn't take out people's brains. We took out bits of people's <laughs> well, yeah, brains. Bits, a sorry, sorry. Bits. <laughs> we took out their brains to be a coroner's investigation, <laughs> and it wouldn't be nice. Right? Uh, it's a whole so other conversation. Did, did they? Really? <laughs> yeah, they did. How, how did that go? Um, I think it worked for him for a little while, and then his agoraphobia returned. So it probably wasn't actually helping his agoraphobia, just more um, probably oh. stunted brain cells or something it's quite brutal and as long as i knew him as a child he um he wasn't quite 
Yeah, there, the shall we say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what actually yeah. happened is when you do the surgery, you get edema mm. and uh, a lot of swelling around the surgical site and that actually slows down the impulses mm, and that's why you had a temporary yep. cure. And then it's, it's just like <laughs> back, just <laughs> back to square one with dead brain cells on top of yeah. that. Yeah. Very unpleasant. How did, how did your grandma feel about that? Um, Not great, but obviously she was searching for the cure with him. Like mm. that search for a cure idiom is a really interesting one. Um, and they had a, a difficult relationship themselves. So, well, were they both survivors? Or? Um, yeah, they both were. So, so, what, what, do you know anything about that background? Um, I know I had great aunts and uncles that I lost in the Holocaust, and that was obviously a bit of a radicalising force for me growing up. You know, being able mm. to firsthand experience that oppression in my family and those stories that were passed down generationally. I know my grandfather every time he came out from Europe, um, which was every couple of years, would sit us down and tell us stories. Um, he was actually part of the Secret Service in South Africa, so he um, was a translator of mm-hmm. uh, messages that were coming across. And um, so he, he was his own little resistance force in that way, which was quite powerful for me growing up. And my, my grandmother is quite a powerful woman as well. She's she, still alive, is she? She's yeah. just actually, she's How 91. 91? Yep. Oh, that's and, not old these days. Oh, it's pretty old. I actually just went to visit her on her deathbed last week, so really? she's in the last phases now oh, of her she, life. Is she at home? Or in she's in a home, yeah, oh, in a hospital. Yeah. Um, Did she recognise you? She did, actually. It was quite beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. It was really nice to have that lucidity in that moment, to be able to tell her how much I respected her and appreciated all that she'd done for the world and myself. And she was actually, um, yeah, an amazing woman. She won the landmark court case in Australia that got smoking banned in public places. So in the 80s, she sued the New South Wales Department of Health, who she worked for at the time as a social worker. And, um, yeah, it was quite a big deal. She wrote a book about it, um, mm. Sholem versus Smoking. <laughs> Sholem versus Smoking and Sholem won. Sholem won. Did you get to the Supreme Court or the High Court? The Supreme Court. In New South Wales. Yeah. yeah look, I've yeah. had a case in the Supreme Court. It was always good to win because if you don't, mm. you get bankrupted. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so it would have changed. If she'd lost, you'd be in big trouble. Definitely. I can assure you. <laughs> of that is my major worry when I was defending myself there. Defending yourself as well. Oh, That's I couldn't good. afford anybody, so mm. we won that. Now, getting back to your story, mm. so obviously you had a radicalising influence. What was your dad and your own dad and mum like? Um, this, this was your dad and mum. This was your grandparents on your father's side. Yeah, paternal. Did, yeah. You ever, did you ever meet the Smiths? I did meet the Smiths. Yeah. Um, had great relationships with the Smiths, actually. Mm. Um, my mother's side was up in the Northern Rivers, and um, my yeah, grandfather was quite a uh, an interesting force in those towns at that time. And I had yeah, beautiful relationships with them growing up. I know I'm quite lucky to have that on both sides right. and to have known all of my grandparents. Well, yeah, that's extraordinary because I never met one of my grandparents. Three mm. were dead and one was overseas by the time I was born. Mm. So you, that, that, it's a very formative experience to mm. have grandparents and still to have living grandparents at the age of 34. That's, that, that's marvellous. You yep. said he was a force to be reckoned with? <laughs> my grandmother or? Your grandfather in up in the... Up in uh, the well, maybe was, not was to be reckoned with. Was he an enforcer or something? Wasn't no, it? no, he no. was... Um, he was a, a he started a real estate company up there so mm-hmm. you know there was also he did a lot of community work and right. gave back a lot in his own way and was a very gentle but strong man mm-hmm. and um yeah, he died when I was like 12, but yeah. So what, you'd go and visit during the holidays? Yeah, always. Every Christmas make that migration, that pilgrimage up to Tweed Heads. And, well, what um, happened to the other grandparents? How did they feel about Oh, I know, <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> they didn't matter, did it? Oh, oh 
Christmas. <laughs> it wasn't something they celebrated, was it? You went to y- Yom Kippur to their house, did you? Well, interestingly, like, um, I never grew up Jewish because, you know, I don't, you obviously know yeah. Judaism. My mother wasn't Jewish, so exactly. therefore technically I am not. Exactly. Um, and I had quite a good mix of cultural heritage growing up. Mm. And both of my, both sides, paternal and maternal, have admitted that they weren't actually that religious growing up, that it was more of a cultural religion for them, the Judaism, and on my mother's side, I suppose, Catholicism. Um, and that was really nice as well. I was kind of raised agnostic mm. and always had sort of some vague spiritualism or agnosticism mm. there, but it was quite beautiful to have that mix of cultures from an early age. We celebrated Chrismica. And, um, Chrismica. Chrismica. Oh, Chrismica. <laughs> very good. Hanumas. Hanumas. Very, very Australian. Very. Exceptionally Australian. <laughs> like itism, you know. Yeah, we yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. Very Australian. Yes, yeah, mixing the culture. Yeah, very uh, multicultural uh, family of sorts. Of sorts yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's great. Did, are your parents still working? Or? Yeah, um, my mother is. She is um, a sort of CEO type and uh-huh. works in human resources for mm-hmm. various hospitals right, and goes right. in and supports people to do the work that they need to do to save lives. In other lives. words, she slaps them into shape because they're yeah. just not meeting the quotas, I understand. Not the quotas, but their own right. needs. The yeah. patient's needs, Joe. It's all about the patient's. <laughs> You believe your mother, do you? I think well, I you do. My mother's an mother. amazing woman. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go on about my mother. <laughs> you must believe your mother, obviously. Uh, and what, your dad's retired? My or? dad's retired. He was a PR and marketing lecturer at Monash and uh-huh. continues to do that sort of work, but more in a um, consulting way. And interesting. Here you've got these radical, practical grandparents, mm. and you've got these... Um, Interesting bureaucrats as, as, yep. as, as your parents. Yeah. You, you got any brothers and sisters? I do. I have a sister who yeah. was a nurse. Yeah. She's a nurse. She's a nurse. Yeah. And yep. you're older or younger? Older. So how did you two cope when you were small? <laughs> how did we cope? Cope. With cope. Yeah. Um, well, from a very young age, I answered the phone. Hello, Susie speaking. How may I help you? Right. <laughs> and so even at five or ten, I was already yeah. in that administrative role, yes. which maybe has set me in good stead how for the work I, that I how, do now. How can I help you? How Susie can I help you? At five. How can I be of service? How can I direct your call? Uh, well, yeah. The great thing about 29 years ago, there weren't so many people trying to sell your shit over the phone. That's true. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would be bankrupt. You'd buy everything. Yes, young lady, you can help. Help us in this way. I've got this plan for you. You want it. Alright, so I assume you went to a kindergarten or something like that? Yeah, I went to kindergarten. Oh. I went to a primary school. Hang on. Uh, even a primary school. Let's go back to this oh, kindergarten. Yeah, sure, Where sure. was the kinder- kindergarten? Um, I grew up in Melbourne's eastern suburbs. East? Oh, very mm. nice. Mm. That's where bureaucrats live. That, well, true. We right. lived on the poorest house in a rich suburb. So, uh, yeah. Rich suburb in the eastern suburbs. Mitchell? No, Templestowe. Templestowe. Yeah. Well, well, you didn't have Donvale then, did you? There was like the beginnings of Donvale. Or Park Orchards. Yeah, Park Orchards. Yeah, very nice. You didn't actually have (laughs) Park Orchards. See, I know that area very well. You do, obviously. Or Churnside Park. You'd further out. Yeah, but you'd look down at Churnside Park, wouldn't you, (laughs) if you're from Templestowe I probably looked down on Box Hill more at the time, but not really. How about about Doncaster? Ah, Doncaster. Look, that was where Westfield Shopping Town was. That was where people went on the weekends for their fun. Fun. um, We went to Warrandyte and Eltham and such, and we went to the Yarra River, and I'm really 
really grateful for those sort of nature connection experiences when I was younger. Excuse me, excuse me. Your parents took you to my the... My parents took me to, to Warrandyte and like... Yeah, yeah. With your sister? Yeah, yeah. And did you paddle in the clear we water? didn't paddle all the time, but occasionally paddled. Mm, we visit mm. like um, little mm. intentional communities and artist galleries and uh, cafes. Excuse me, excuse me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit confused here, Suze. I'm a bit confused. Here you are. Mm. Young woman, or young girl, well, under 10, I assume. <laughs> yeah. Me do. Me do. Me do. Yeah, and you're wandering around, going to intentional communities. Your, bureauc- mm. your bureaucrat parents were taking you to intentional communities. Mm. What's wrong with them? They were a little bit radical in their own right. Yeah, well, they were radical. Yeah, what, they were. What, what, what were they doing? They weren't marching the moratorium or the mm. anti-apartheid struggle being from South Africa? Or? No, I think my dad would have if he was in, like, if he was there when he was older. He left South right. Africa when he was 13, right. so right. I think he would have... Um, well, we had a very vibrant um, anti-apartheid struggle here in Australia mm, in the very early 70s. Yeah. Maybe we rubbed shoulders with some <laughs> of it, do you think? It's highly likely. Also, he worked for the ABC for many years, so right, I don't know right. if you've uh, perhaps in radio or in television. Well, I have been expelled from the ABC, but that's story. <laughs> you don't want to know about that. <laughs> then I get to ask you two, two questions at the end. <laughs> well, you can, but I won't answer them. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know what interviewers always say, I ask the questions. Yeah, you're rowing the canoe. <laughs> exactly, I'm rowing the canoe. So, you went to kindergarten where? In Templestone. In Templestone, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. And, uh, any life-affirming experiences there, you know, if it's a three and four and five-year-old? Oh, was it still many life-affirming experiences. I'm not yeah. sure about radicalising experiences. No, no, life-affirming. Life I, 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 I don't want to paint this picture of you as this wild radical who started <laughs> off her life by saying me too at the age <laughs> of two. That, you know, we don't have that type of person here. We don't need to do that. So, anything, anything you remember about kindergarten? Um, any life skills? I learnt soothing. Soothing. Now that I think about it, one of the things that's really stuck with me is um, the ability to calm myself down or have other people calm me down through gentle touch. Mm. And um, there was a lot of good vibes in my family at that time of my life and Mm. things Mm. went to crap a little bit more in my teenage years, as they always tend to do. Um, But that's life. But, yeah, (laughs) teenage... That's that's what happens when you... Fight for independence. <laughs> That's what all the little birdies do yeah. when they leave the nest. And sometimes they go in the wrong direction yeah. and they fall on the ground. They're eaten by the cat. Mm-hmm. That's what happens to human beings. But we'll go back. All right, primary school, where'd you go? Also in Templestowe. Um, yeah. And then... Hang on. Yep. Hang on. Yep, sorry, you've slow it down. Hour. You're only down. 34. <laughs> Relax. You haven't got much of a life yet. You're not 90. Uh, the, the woman There's I was so much, Joe. The woman I was interviewing last week was 82. She had, mm. she had a story to tell. Yeah. Right? We didn't get through it. Yeah, of course not. I mean, you're only 34. Give us a break. So, primary school, anything, kind of, any teachers had any influence on you? Massively. Um, I had quite a few teachers that were particularly um, poignant for me. Um, Pointed. I've never heard yeah. that before about a teacher. What they they, uh, they disciplined you or something? No, there no. was <laughs> there was an amazing teacher who came out from Austin, Texas, uh-huh. and she was just so unusual and so different. And I really appreciated that difference um, around me at that age. And there was a lot of different types of people at my school, and I really enjoyed the exposure to that. So excuse me. Mm. What? This is white bread land. I know, state. I know. Why were there lots of different types? Was I'm this not a, sure. Was this a private school? No, public no, school? no, no. Public, public school. school? Public school. Maybe it was um, lower. It could have been lower Temple Stowe. That's, that's <laughs> Actually, it was kind of. Oh, well, yeah, there, there we are. Are. <laughs> That's the answer. So you go to the lower, 
If you know, I do a lot of bit of travelling around Melbourne, and I do remember Lower Templestone about 25 yeah. years ago. It's not what it is today. No, not at all. I mean, there's a lot of some of the old apple orchards yeah. still there. Paddy's Orchard, house. good old Paddy's. <laughs> and, and they're rotting homes. And if you go down Hurlick Street in Lower Templestone, they have just sold the last remaining farm remnant. Oh. And, and you go down the street and there'd be these spectacular McDonald mansions, <laughs> Macca's mansions. I know the ones, the yeah. Golden Mile, I called them. Yeah, the, and then there was this huge block which was ready for subdivision with this broken down house with this mm. old couple, I think, or I just, I think the, just the uh, woman was alive. You could see kind of walking down into the letterbox and obviously she's died and the place oh. is gone. All gone. So. All gone. The last vestiges. Right. So what did you, what did you, what, you're about 12 or 13 when you finished primary school? Yeah, about that. What Maybe 11, 12. I was one of the young'uns. Any life lessons? Um, my first experience of death, actually, when I was in grade five, um, our teacher died. She got diagnosed with breast cancer, and she was an amazing woman, and that really made its mark on me, and also I think my fellow students, to have your teacher who you'd bonded with throughout the year um, pass away quite suddenly was a very um, intense experience for a lot of us. And wasn't necessarily pleasant as well. I no, think. it's not pleasant. Death mm. never, never is. Yeah, of course. Um, so it was kind of after a year of bumbling through that with my fellow students that um, my parents decided that they were going to try and send me to a private school. Try. Try. Yeah, it was try. quite this difficult. Try. This is grade five. Grade five or grade six? Grade six was when I entered private school. A private school. Mm. Can we name this private mm. school? You don't do I have want to? to? No, I don't know no, that no. I do. But the, suffice to say, a private girls' school. So oh, not really private, but a single no. sex school. Exactly. You weren't a tomboy, were you? I was. How could you tell? <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. I'm uh, interviewing a tomboy. I'm not just you? a tomboy, Joe, but queer and discovering that I was queer throughout a my queer. life. A queer. We are tomboy growing up in a private girls' school. Right. So you went to private girls' school year six. Mm-hmm. Year six. And yep. how long were you there for? Until 12, year 12. Really? Yep. I graduated in 2001. You've done really well. Thank you, Oz. Yep. No, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> but so, I survived it. <laughs> no, 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 no. People, people, I never make derogatory comments, apart from the financing. <laughs> I don't think the public should finance the private schools. I but entirely agree. If, you know, if people want to send, got the money, they want to send their kiddies to a mm. private girls' school, mm. so be it. Yeah, so, so be it to an extent. My father made me thank him every day for because, sending. Because of the fees. Because the fees, That's yeah. right. You yeah. become a commodity then. Exactly. Yeah. That was the investment in my future. That's and right. then they want the, I suppose, outcomes. It took my parents quite a while to appreciate that I maybe wasn't going to give them the returns that they were what, you're not expecting. Gonna, you, you're not going to be in a position to pay for their nursing home bills <laughs> for a few years' time. Is that the <laughs> No. It's, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen? No. That's very cruel of you. How about a caravan in the backyard? Oh, for sure. I'll you know, house them in a little something. But yeah, <laughs> little, you know, you could have a tiny house and you could, or exactly. a squat. You could put them in the back of your squat or something. <laughs> that's my plan, Joe. Yeah, that's yeah. my plan. Well, all right. So did you excel at anything in... Um, Apart from finding that, you know, you're a little bit different in this girl's school. <laughs> I excelled at being different. Um, yeah, I, I excelled at literature, English, philosophy, the sort of artsy type subjects. Philosophy. That philosophy. You did philosophy, what, 11 and 12 or 10? I did, 11 and 12. I actually started university in year 11 and 12. And um, uh, Excuse me, am I talking to a gifted human being here? Well, define gifted as you will, but... Yeah. Well, I assume... My, 
you were doing university in 11 and 12. Mm. First, just a few subjects, but yes. Just a few subjects. <laughs> just a few overachieving, were you? Just a few. I probably still remain an overachiever. <laughs> and what university was this? Monash. And you were doing, and you were allowed to go in as a fourteen-year-old. I was. It was an advanced program. An advanced program. Mm. Well, 16, 16, 16, 16, oh, 16, 16 Yeah. Yeah. And what subjects were you doing? Um, philosophy, mm-hmm. literature, mm-hmm. and um, a bit of gender studies. Yeah, I'm still confused. I'm nearly 67. I'm confused. What is philosophy? What is philosophy? Yeah. Well, just tell us. Look, 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 look. Other listeners who listen to this program, are, you know, like me, they're a bit oh. behind the times. <laughs> you know, I know it's only been around for two and a half hours. And I know, I was going to say, <laughs> this might predate you, just maybe. <laughs> exactly. But, but just explain to people, why would a younger person at 16 mm. be doing all this extracurricular work at a university and doing philosophy? I was intrigued about why and how we life. We life. Yeah. What do you mean we, we life? Like as in how we go about life, why we make the decisions we do, the ethics around that. Um, Haven't you ever heard of DNA? <laughs> uh, the nature versus nurture argument. <laughs> Good old essentialism. <laughs> Here you were thinking. You were looking for meaning, were you? Um, maybe not looking for meaning, but I've always been a very um, like analytical person. Right. Very excited to delve in and deconstruct and... It's something that I was excited to do at a higher level, so I seized mm. the opportunity. Mm. Did it lead to God? Mm, no. Really? <laughs> I did study the philosophy of religions, but yes. it did not lead to God. It didn't lead to God, because mm. most people go into philosophy, sooner or later they realise every question is unanswerable. Indeed, <laughs> and remains, and really I just think it's a lot of enjoying the wank of talking about it. <laughs> well, I'm glad we both agree. We, That's why I wanted you to explain what philosophy was. Now, I assume you were a gun sporting student? I don't know what gives that away, but yes. <laughs> oh, your physical, your physicality. Oh, yes, I do have your broad shoulders and strong arms. <laughs> so what, what, were, what were you doing? Um, I was on, I was actually a state basketball player and I did javelin and shot put growing up as well. So kind of... Javelin and shot put? Mm. Yep. Mm, so you weren't somebody you kind of push around. Yeah, exactly. So that Me Too thing kept, <laughs> kept going in your life, didn't it? It did, and yeah, remains till this day. <laughs> how far did you get for the javelin? Quite far, actually. What's like, quite far? Um, did you get into the Victorian team? I did, I did. Uh-huh. I'm trying to remember what my PB was at the time. It's a little uh-huh. shaky right now, hazy. Uh-huh. Maybe like 35, 40 metres, which at that age was quite impressive it for a girl. Very, it mm. is impressive, yeah. Mm. I, I wouldn't fight you any day. <laughs> I still own a javelin, so... <laughs> you that still very own way. a javelin. I still own a javelin. <laughs> Not many people own javelins. No, no, they usually steal them. It's hard to walk out of the sports shops with them. but No, no, you just go to a field and you race in and grab one and keep running. (laughs) Haven't you done that? Oh, yeah, all the time. Didn't that that happen to you when you were throwing javelins? People stealing my spears, yeah. I I did shock when I was was just amazed at the discipline involved in keeping your feet behind that Mm, line, you know. Totally, that... It's and falling over, you know, tipping <laughs> over. <laughs> that sacrificial moment where you're like, I could go forward over the line or I could collapse on my ankle and yeah. I'm going to collapse on my ankle. Mm. So how, much, how, much of, how much time did this entail? I mean, if, if, you did, if you did state basketball, state javelin throwing, how did you go to the shot state? 
Mm, not stay, just That's like, right. yeah. Like local. local. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it took up a lot of my time and I, I suppose I did a lot of extracurricular activities, which is, I suppose, an opportunity as well that came with my private schooling. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you have the heated swimming pool and the, yeah, the equestrian, the did you have the equestrian lessons? Not equestrian lessons, no, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> we had like, I suppose, I, I went to the, the biggest girls school in the Southern Hemisphere, so there was Ooh. a very comprehensive sports um, mm. arena and mm. gym and ovals and all of that, so I wasn't mm. denied any opportunity and my parents were very supportive. Mm. My mother, any time I wanted to explore something, was pretty fantastic well, at enabling. They should, they should be very happy. They haven't they got a cupboard mm. full of ribbons and trophies? There is a box of those somewhere. What, they haven't been displayed in the house? <laughs> <laughs> they were when I was younger. <laughs> Got paid back in spades, shovelfuls. Yeah, totally, and I mean, they, you know, you, you're the belle of their eyes, the golden child, the if golden you will. <laughs> the other one was just a nurse, but this, oh, one, was, oh. this one was a philosophy major at sixteen. You stayed basketball and javelin. Oh, too. sure, she making look, me like sound like such an idiot. Suze, yeah, oh, look, I was the same. I mean, I can always tell talent. Yeah. I was just the same, <laughs> pathetic, full of myself. <laughs> Healthy narcissism, I believe it's called. No, no, it's called patheticism. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever? I look, I wrote a diary for about a year when I was thirteen or fourteen, and I came across it, and I thought, Oh, that's always fun. And I thought, you got, Did you do that? I've too? done it many times. Have, yep. you, have you come across them? Have you yeah, them? yeah, poems that I wrote when I was seven, yeah. whiny teenage angst when I was sixteen. You right. know, it's all, all there. Right. All right. Do you okay. hold on to yours? No, nah, I got rid of them. You got rid of them. I mean, I thought if somebody sees this, they'll realise what a nerd I am. <laughs> Oh, they're somewhere, they're somewhere. I've got no idea where they are, but they're somewhere. I think, my God, this bloke was so full of himself. A lot of people say, well, Joe, nothing has changed. Look, it's 4.29. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. I am interviewing a 34-year-old overachiever. Well, while she was young, but usually these things... Come crushing down like meteorites. Suze, shalom. Now, Suze, you said you were discovering your sexuality in high school. Mm. Did that cause you issues? Definitely. Um, It's a lot hipper to be queer these days than it was back then. In my day, God, Mm. you get jailed and beaten up. Exactly. Mm. And I had aunts on both sides who weren't able to come out in the same way that I was. So I very much appreciate that even though I struggled, it wasn't nearly the same struggle of... Um, did they yeah. support you, the aunts? Or very much so, so, very much right. so. I think they've always looked quite proud how, of me. How did you me. find out? Um, going to a all-girls school, I was surrounded by a lot of people who... No, I'm talking about your aunts. Oh, oh. <laughs> your aunts. No, we don't really <laughs> gave a, I'm not that stupid. Come I did on. wonder, Joe. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, your aunts, because they would have been gone for a period when you'd have to be very discreet. Yeah, indeed. You know, and you'd, you'd kind of see the... Mm. Those relationships and people were very discreet, and mm. you'd have the the old teacher and the other old teacher living together. Indeed, type of thing. yeah. My auntie, um, one of my favourite and favourite people in the world, actually, and she passed away two months ago. So mm. much like respect. Thank you. I've had a bit of death in my family recently. Um, anyway, she had a soulmate, and that was how she phrased it. That this right. was her soulmate. They lived together. They shared a room, but they always like vehemently denied anything beyond this beautiful soulmateship that they mm-hmm. shared. Mm-hmm. And as, um, you know, I got older, I realised what that was. Mm. And I really appreciated that role modelling as a, as a child that um, she was maybe not out and loud and proud, but she was defiantly 
living her life. And, you know, it was a really beautiful thing. In her thing. own way. In her yeah. own way, yeah. Did she realise that you... Uh, did she talk to you or did she realise? About my sexuality? Yeah. Or, yeah, she did. So, um, you know, I, my family's always been quite supportive and I've had partners and, you know, um, particularly they developed good relationships with, you know, mm. my long-term partner. Um, yeah. And... Um, you, you could really see that they were proud of me. There was particularly my aunt, um, there was a glint in her eye. Well, you were living the life sh- she would have wanted I to know. have lived. And that was the tragedy, isn't it? It was it really the tragedy. It's a tragedy. It's a huge tragedy. It is. And also quite a beautiful honour to be able to live that for her in a mm. way, you know, that she yeah. couldn't live it herself. And I really felt that. And even now as I'm talking about it, I have tingles. I can see that. Mm. Uh, one in three interviewees cry, so mm. don't worry. It's all right. <laughs> We don't mind. <laughs> I'm not an easy I mean, I, 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 well, I get under your skin slowly. Mm, I, yeah, I can tell. Start with the kindergarten, work your way through the family deaths. You know? <laughs> we get there. We get there. All right, we won't dwell on that. But so you graduated, I assume, with honours. Yeah, yeah. What was your eight? Was it, did you have eight hour schools in those days? Was it eight? Uh, HS, VC, uh, what's it called? VCE. VCE. What, 97 or Enter something? Enter score. Enter score, about 97.6? No, it was, the, it was the early 90s. It was early the early 90s. 90s. Right, I'll tell yeah. you, they gave you a lot of options. So what did you decide to do? Um, at first, I, I dabbled in university for quite some time, shall we say. I was a but professional you student. You didn't go to university in the 60s and 70s. You had <laughs> continuous assessment. How could you dabble? We, that was all stopped. We, they put in continuous. I have a massive hex debt I have a, that I will never pay back because I will never earn that much money. So you dabble. I what was your first course? My first course was a double degree in arts and education. Obviously, a double degree. You're not happy with just a single oh, degree. No, of course not. That would never do. Well, through Monash, were you doing philosophy? Yeah, philosophy um, and literature was my first major. Hmm. And then I ran out of literature subjects to do and excuse, um, excuse me yeah excuse me you're going to a huge university yeah but Monash's arts department is fraught and they started cutting funding to their English lit department so after I'd been there for like two or three years I had legitimately done all of the um, classes that I could do and it also wasn't exciting me in the same way like when I was younger I wanted to be a poet you're kidding me no <laughs> you're kidding me I don't know this, this is this is supposed to be a big university. I know. I've actually been on campus once or twice. <laughs> it's huge. Even, even there's, there's multiple campuses. You know, I know, everywhere. Yeah. I'm the good old days. Yeah. But you ran out of subjects to study. Here you were, willing to continue. Mm. What, you couldn't even do a PhD or a master's? Oh, no, of course I could, but just not in English literature specifically. Not in uh, English literature? I changed my major to sociology and loved uh, it. What's sociology? What is sociology? Um, the study of people and how they socially interact and how we are socially constructed in this world. The ways in which we engage with one another, the ways in which we perform ourselves. And, um, yeah, that's what excited me in particular, the ways in which we socially construct ourselves and our relationships and perform our identities in modern society. Mm-hmm. That was what my honours thesis was on. Honours thesis mm-hmm. for your master's? Mm-hmm. So well, my honours thesis, so right. my honours, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I stopped at the Masters. I could, have, I could have kept going, but I decided to stop and do real-world things. That's a terrible thing to do. You could have been an academic. You've got the brain for it. You could have been on individual contracts for the rest of your life, not been able to actually borrow money from the <laughs> bank. Not I'm still able, the not, situation. <laughs> not able to open your mouth because your contract wouldn't be, oh. you wouldn't be re-employed. Why don't you go down that path? 
Uh, I know, right? Crazy. Hilariously, because my father became an academic at Monash, and oh, yeah. I saw that it wasn't all roses. And what, he came, he came home and hit, kicked the cat or something? <laughs> no, I, um, I'd still like to do academia at some point, perhaps, but for mm. me, it's more mm. pertinent to be out mm. there in the real mm. world. And I, I went to uni for like 10 years. I did three... 10 years? Yeah. You're only 34. Yeah, I started... When did you finish? Mm, 2008? Maybe. So you're talking about for maybe even nine, ten years. Yeah. So that's the first degree. What's the next degree? So I changed from the double degree of education and arts to just focusing on arts, and then did a fine arts as well. Fine arts. Fine arts. What, it, what does that entail? Um, so that's basically studying art in in whatever you want to. And I wanted to study metalwork. And metalwork. Yeah, right. I became right. a jeweler. A jeweler. A jeweler. You can go to university. I know for to jewelers. be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot of people changed. said that. So yeah. Things have changed. <laughs> Why couldn't you just get an apprenticeship with a bloody I could jeweler? have, I could have, I could have. But what intrigued me about jewellery was not making the bits and bolts, although I still can and do, mm. um, but more combining that with my sociology major and my arts and using jewellery as a sort of contemporary medium to explore. So basically, in plain English, uh, you've, got uh, lo- you've got a lot of, lot of academic terminology. I'm there. trying to like dull yeah. it down and be like, yeah, okay, I made yeah. art about how yeah. we live in the world. No, and no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. You made art. Here I am telling you what you did. Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, go mansplaining. Yeah, it's a manspeak. <laughs> the old bloke. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll you know, the grey-ass bureaucrat with the white hair, you know, the people who've been in power for so long. Well, I wasn't once, you know. I was just a black-haired bureaucrat. But getting back to that, weren't you basically... It's interesting. I th- I'm not making fun. I think it's a great combination, mm. sociology and jewellery, because mm. obviously each culture through the eons has had specific ways of decorating themselves in order to highlight various aspects exactly. of their existence. Yep. And that's what you brought together. That's you had exactly. the practical and the philosophy. So I'm not that stupid. No, you're not. There you go. <laughs> Who's an academic now? <laughs> oh, I'm not academic. So any particular cultural setting with jewellery that interests you? That actually has, um, this is caught so your not emotion. what I expected the interview to be about. This is so well, Remember I said we were in a canoe, and yeah. if I find an interesting tributary, we yep. just paddle up that tributary. Because there must be. I mean, you've done so. I mean, very few people mm. do the combination of sociology and, and metalwork mm. or, or metal, whatever. Yeah, no, metalwork, yeah. Metalwork. It's, 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 it's a fascinating combination. Mm. It is, because you look at any culture, there are distinctive aspects as far as what they wear and how they wear mm. it and when they wear it, uh, a jewellery that that, that that defines them. Yeah, totally. As a community. And continuously. I find that so exciting. Yeah. Um, and not just jewellery, like um, I think about it in terms of like all types of adornment or mm. like how you do your hair, tattoos, the clothes you wear. Mm. And I'm really interested in mm. how people interpret that in their day-to-day mm. and what we're actively sort of choosing to put out there mm. for mm. people to and, – and I've done a lot of sort of research on that mm. as well. Mm. Um, it's really interesting how people think about that stuff and, you know, through the – Throughout history, obviously, it's been a significant marker of class or gender, and um, mm. you can get quite. You could even get your head bound, so yeah. you look for the rest of the life part of the ruling class. Yep, totally. So, is there any any particular culture that interested you? Um, the sociology and jewellery. No, not really. Nothing I'll, in particular. Nothing in particular. Lots of dabbling around. Mm. I was really um, one of the things I suppose that was really interesting in 
for me in that like intersection of like sociology and jewelry was like when I started to be a lot more activist minded and sustainability focused and realized how I suppose unethical um, jewelry production and art production in itself could be and so I started trying to move away from using metals and started exploring how to make art without making art and that resulted in uh, quite a few interesting outcomes like drawing on the walls and inviting people to come and share exhibitions with me where they just drew on the walls and shared their life stories and mm. talked about their mother's ring that they inherited when they were four. Did anybody turn up? To turn um, many people, yeah. <laughs> when was this exhibition? Um, that one was in 2015. 15. Maybe, no, 2013 that one would have been. Mm. But it's, it was well, the focus of one for a while. Happy? Were what, sorry? People on the wall happy with you? S- varying degrees of like, maybe not happy, but like they were, lo- people love sharing their stories. People, you would know this, people love to share a little be- piece of themselves. And it was quite beautiful to have these walls covered with fragments of people and an absence of bodies, but just these reflections. Yeah, on for a minute I was a bit worried that, you know, fragments of people. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they, maybe you just went that one step further where you asked people to cut off a piece of flesh <laughs> and actually attach it to the wall. Now I think there'll I be could somebody have done that. Yeah, there is somebody listening out there who's going to take that up. You watch. I actually know an artist that does that sort of thing. You only get one original thought in your mm-hmm. life, and it looks like that's not my original thought. Mm-hmm. So when, what year did you leave university? Um, I think I finished my honours in 2010 or 2011. So would you describe yourself as an activist then, or did that come after you left university? Um, after I left university, but it's not that I didn't do activism before that. Like I was, I remember I went to the, one of the first Jabaluka protests when I was like 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't. Well, did you go on your own? I was with some school friends. Okay. We we wagged yeah. school to go to the um to yeah. go to the protest and. Well, pretty I, good. Private girls' school, isn't exactly. Javaluk is a long way from Melbourne. Indeed, it takes a long time to get there and a long time to get back. Did they see you on the front page of the newspaper? Actually, they did see me on TV, and I got in trouble for it. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Um, Why they thought you were dying in your sick bed at home or something? No, it's because I talked about the fact that the school didn't want us there. That the school kind of got upset and right, um, right. yeah, punitive damages there. Oh. But um. Yeah. Oh, so okay. All right. We'll just gloss over that. Yeah. Yeah. We will gloss over That's that. That's a bit disappointing <laughs> to think you're a 15 year old at a Jabaluka protest. Very disappointing. I think that's going to. Well, it is. It's, it, it looks like the pathway. You, you kind of, you know, weren't you destined for the corporate world? You, you're intelligent. Mm. You know, you're hardworking with all that javelin and shot putting. <laughs> I mean, look, I did athletics and mm. it's hard work. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. hard. So you're focused. You're intelligent. You're just what the ruling class needs. (laughs) Don't you see these young women and middle-aged women turning up at the Banking Royal Commission and being grilled? It's just, you could have been one of them. So what happened? Oh, the lost opportunity. Oh, woe is me. (laughs) What happened, Suze? What happened? Uh, A bunch of things happened. Like what? little, um, I, if I'm on... mm. You're going to pick this apart. This is one of those Uh, tributaries. I never never pick anything apart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... A few things. I started hanging around with alternative communities. Like, I was already a bit of a black sheep and an alternative person growing up. You were eight or nine. You were down. Your parents were taking you down there. They're they're responsible for that. Yeah, oh, blame them. (laughs) They're they're quite proud, I think, which is nice. So what is an alternative community? Um, 
Well, I suppose people that act differently to what the norm is and um, just opening that door of you don't have to do what society tells you and there's more out there. And then I suppose simultaneously my you know, academic life, learning about the different oppressive forces in the world and being able to piece that together. Arts degrees are great for that, you know. Mm. Arts degrees turn out activists like nothing else. That's right, because they can't get a job, it's obvious. <laughs> we don't want a job, Joe. We don't want them. Well, most <laughs> art people I know do want a job. They oh, want to yeah. pay the rent yeah. and so they become activists and then, you know, work for a foe or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I know a lot of them too. <laughs> and that's the constant tension, isn't it? Like, oh, I want to do this work I'm passionate about, but I need to also pay my rent. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Mm. So what led you onto a life of activism? Um, you say you've got the intentional communities, Jabaluga branches. It's all, all together. Like, I don't think I could pull apart one specific radicalising moment, but if I was to try, I suppose one big thing was going to Confest when I was 18 years old. Ooh, um, I know. They, they just had another Confest. I know. I was there. And you were there. Yeah, I actually co-facilitated running a village. So from my beginnings of a little baby confester, you know, Uh, 16 years ago or whatever. That's no baby. That's no baby confess. No, it isn't. My niece has been attending confess since she was born. So, you know. How old is your niece? She's eight now. Is she? Oh, that's very nice. Well, I Mm. think I attended the second or the first confess. Wow. In 72. That's pretty cool. And I asked somebody, they still got the mud pit, and they said yes, and they, and they still got the nudists, and they said yes. yes. Said, well, nothing has changed. No, not, not much no. has changed. No. <laughs> uh, my sister is actually one of the directors of Confess now, so okay. she, it's a family thing. It's a family thing. Which well, is she does. Cute. She does the first time, does she? She actually does. Oh, that's what so I she actually <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have any of that in 1972. <laughs> there was no bloody first aid. I can assure you that. Oh, H and S legislation. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, many scars. All right, okay. So um, what village did you direct this, this time? Um, it was called the Doing It Ourselves Village. Oh, not the Me Too. No, 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 a bit of that, a bit of that. Um, yeah, it was an activist village, essentially, and confessed. Doing it ourselves. Doing it ourselves, what which were they is. doing? They're staring at their navels. We're doing it ourselves. I'm actually, Doing It Ourselves is the name of a group that I'm a part of, a, um, awareness raising, um, group in Melbourne, where. But everybody does it themselves. Yeah, everyone, and that's why it's beautiful. It's like we're all doing it ourselves. Everyone's doing it ourselves. Um, What did you do ourselves? (laughs) At Confess. We ran workshops. Oh, you ran workshops? Many, many workshops. So original, (laughs) Suze. I feel like the the bad old days. You ran workshops. (laughs) We did many more things, Joe, but that was the first thing. No, no, we I I don't want to know about the extracurricular activities at Confess. (laughs) I've got no idea. I've been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, All right. Okay, let's go back a few Yeah, steps. yeah, go. So what are the type of activist things you're involved in? Um, apart from that which will not be named, yeah. um, I also am an event coordinator for a not-for-profit called Plan to Thrive. Which Excuse me, a not-for-profit. A not-for-profit, That's which disgusting. basically means we don't make much money and there's a couple of us and we're all very grassrootsy. Um, What's it called again? Plan to Thrive. So you, what, you, know, you grow you seeds th- or something? Johnny Appleseed is that? Or? <laughs> no, that's another project I've done. That's a whole other thing. Farming co-ops, I've done it all. Um, At 34. Well, maybe not all. There's all still right. some things on the bucket list. Um, but, yeah, Plan to Thrive um, is basically an activist well-being and support well-being. Um, yeah, activist well-being. Do you well, know that activists burn out, Joe? Really? Yeah. Well, I, I do have a parable. Yeah. I do have a parable. There's what? two types of activists mm-hmm. in the world. 
as meteorites. Oh. And you kind of got a bit of a meteorite glow to you. <laughs> and there's stars. Oh, oh, I don't know how to take the meteorite uh, comment. <laughs> Meteorites burn out, you're quite right. Mm-hmm. They burn out, and I know hundreds, mm. maybe thousands of people over the last 50 years. I'm sure you've the seen it. The 1st of May will be my 50th anniversary as an activist, mm. and you see it all the time. Meteorite, meteorite, but stars, mm. they just sit there and glow. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleased that you've got this little group going. Yeah, it's a good one. Learn to thrive because people, people forget that they do have needs, mm-hmm. psychological needs, physical needs, monetary needs, financial needs. Yep. And society loves people who burn themselves out. Totally, totally. And activists don't realise, I think, when they first get involved, they're so gung-ho and excited to change the world, they don't plan for the long game. Mm. I've been doing activism in various ways for over mm. 10 years, so even though, you know, you say I'm a meteorite, I'm hoping for the no, long no, game. No, no, I'm not saying you're a meteorite. I, I said you had <laughs> tinges. Tinges, for sure. And sometimes meteorites turn to stars mm. because they see the... They see the error of their ways <laughs> and they start looking after themselves. Totally, totally. Yeah, I think yeah. that's been my trajectory for the last few years and I'm glad to have realised it. But it's still a constant thing. Yeah, like if you talk yeah. to long-term activists, and I'm sure you know this, yeah. that it's something you have to consistently remind yourself to do well, it's self-care. Just, I think there's three things you do. Is One, you set yourself some goals that you can achieve. Mm-hmm. There are Obviously, there are many things you set yourself that you know you will never achieve yep. in a lifetime. But if you set yourself goals that you can achieve, it's very... It reinforces your, your sense of your own self-worth and your exactly. own power. So that, that's very important. It doesn't matter how small it is. No, for sure. Secondly is expect criticism. The great <laughs> and invite thing. it. Invite. No, no, not invite it. Oh, I don't know. We no, might disagree no, on that no, one. No, no, because this is what happens. This is what happens in the so-called activist world. <laughs> and I call it the so-called yeah. activist world. They're so involved in navel-gazing yeah. criticism, they actually forget it's, it's what we call a small group syndrome. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of the small group mm-hmm. syndrome. I remember that in, uh, yes, we're waving to somebody on the other side. It's okay. Sorry, Suze. I've lost concentration <laughs> there. This woman was waving at me. Oh, how dare they? Yeah. And um, she should have been waving at you, not mm-hmm. me. But because <laughs> you're the guest. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot my line of thought, obviously. That's how useless it is. Um, you forgot too. That's fair No, enough. no, damn it. I was there. Yeah. Um, small group syndrome. Yeah, small group syndrome. I remember this fascinating. Remember the? I don't know if you you may remember the Red Army faction. Mm. They were, uh, you know, a, a very esoteric Maoist group based in Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the factions of the Red Army factions went into the mountains for self-criticism in the late 60s. <laughs> 23 of them went up there, three returned. T- 20 died because they killed each other. Oh. And this is what I'm saying. It's the small group syndrome. If you can't succeed in the wider world, you turn in on each other. And you Come see with- it happen all the time in activist world. And not just activism, but yeah. like the left in general. Like, yeah. And I think that that's because people feel like they're not... They realise at a certain point in their struggles that it's a lot easier to attack those closer to you than That's to right. go after the bigger issues That's and the right. people that are That's hard right. to change. You can't look at the constitution, you pick out the little weaknesses, mm. you concentrate on that, it's not a democratic society, <laughs> you know, you know, 100% union in terms of... Uh, I mean, I'm a great believer in, in direct democracy bar mm. one, not con- oh. cons- consensus <laughs> bar one. Minus one, yeah. Or consensus minus 10%. <laughs> 
because I've seen so much paralysis, people mm. trying to obtain consensus when you've got somebody who's basically got a psychiatric issue mm. or a psychological issue who can't basically work with other people. Totally. And as an activist, we, we attract people like that. Mm. Because, we do. Because we are welcoming. And also people who have been oppressed are drawn to activism. Yeah. So in various yeah. ways that oppression rears its head. Um, and whether people have trauma yeah. or mental health issues, it can be a real barrier to group work yeah. sometimes. Yeah, it is. And it's, mm. uh, I always come around with the idea, I never believe in consensus. Consensus minus 10% is 5%. Or bar one, even bar one is, is useful. Mm. Consensus can be quite utopian, I think, but I do like that some of the groups that I'm involved in strive for it. That so, so tell us some of the groups that you're involved in. Um, so I suppose I mentioned Doing It Ourselves and yeah. Plan to Thrive. Yeah. Um, I've also been um, involved in setting up a few alternative economy projects. And oh, excuse me, alternative economy projects? Yeah. What, 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 based on freestyle thinking or barter thinking? Both, both. both. Um, right. yeah, well, so barter is like, just another form of capitalism, you know. Yeah, I do know that, and mm. I'm into non... This is going to sound maybe a bit... Uh, hoity-toity, but non-transactional mutual aid. Uh, um, that's the new word, is it? Non-transactional mutual aid. Yeah, well, no expectation of no. the other person giving back just because you've given something. Uh, now, you realise you're at 21 Smith Street, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. At 3CR, you know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm well aware of my location. Yeah. Now, do you know anything about 42 Smith Street? No. Do you know anything about Dingo? Yeah, I've heard a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Have you heard about 1972 in the Collingwood Three Store at Mm. 42 Smith Street? No. Which was run by the anarchist community. Oh, fantastic. That's fantastic. uh, We didn't have this idea of non transactional mutual aid. Mm, It was called. Maybe that's the. It was called mutual aid. (laughs) (laughs) You gave what you could and you took what you needed. I, well, now we've got to call it non-transactional No, that's what I aid. call it, Joe. That's oh, what right. I call it because I like. So another group that I um, am part of organising is the Really Really Free Market in Preston. Ah, uh-huh. heard about them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh. we've been running for like a year. No hassles. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Agreement. <laughs> 100% agreement. They're brilliant. Fantastic. Brilliant concept. Fantastic. I'm glad you're in support. Well, I'm in support of 95% of the things you're doing. Yeah. And the other 5% I don't know about because <laughs> you won't tell me. And I if we had more why. time, well, I think we'd get there. Yeah, but, but when you came in, you, you thought you'd, you know, you'd run out of things to say. Oh, I definitely didn't. Oh, there's no lack of me yeah. saying things, definitely. No, no. You're going to find this very interesting, listeners. You know my rule about notes. Now, Suze came in and she had uh, n- she had notes, but being a modern woman, her notes were on her mobile phone, <laughs> and she actually hasn't looked at it. Not she once. You haven't either, have you? No, no, I told no. you wouldn't either. And I'm sure at the end of it, I'll be brain. like, should have said that, should have said that, well, but say lovey. <laughs> well, you can come back in another year or two for a second bite of the cherry Sounds if you want to. Sounds good. Oh. So, you talked about sustainability. Why is that so important to you? Mm. <laughs> It ties in, I suppose, with a few things, like the long game, like what I mentioned before with activism. Like, I want Mm. us to sustain ourselves. I Mm. want us to sustain the world. I want us to sustain each other. I think that that's where the joy lies from being in relationship with each other and ourselves. That bloody sociology. Yeah, yeah, you can't (laughs) beat it out of me now. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about it and finding Mm. ways to, Mm. to live that in my everyday. And yeah. That's extraordinary. Well, Mm. look. Through history, people have been doing what you've been doing. Mm. And the great thing is to get personal satisfaction out of it as well, totally. as, as, well as making a difference. Yeah. Now, Joy you, you're, you're a bit of a stalwart here at 3CR, I understand. You say a, a stalwart. Stalwart. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I uh, co-host the Sewer Show on the third Friday of every month uh-huh. from 5.30 to 6.30. Yeah. Um, as part of doing it ourselves, that's one of the things right. that we do um, beyond workshops. We also are a zine distro and uh-huh. we host the Sewer Show along with some of the other amazing fellow unwaged and squatter and anarchist types. Um, yeah, and I love doing that. How long have you been doing that for? About a year. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people realise what an extraordinary organisation 3CR is. Oh, it's phenomenal. I'm yeah. so grateful for mm. the intro into this community. Mm. It's mm. great. Yeah, well, mm. you'll have to pay on the way out, but that's all right. <laughs> I pay with my subscriber fees and so should you all. <laughs> no, you pay with your contribution, oh, your non-transactional. My non-transactional <laughs> mutual pay. <laughs> boom. Boom, boom. Look, have you got any part, a parting word for uh, any listener who's kind of been a little bit excited by the interview and wants to become active? Mm. Oh, that's hard to put in one word. Um, parting words. Parting words, okay. <laughs> Look, I just say throw yourself in. I really, like... Well, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> like, a little bit of just do it, because you hear all these inspiring stories mm. from people all around you, and for me, that was a really um, radicalising thing, is just the role modelling of amazing people around me and communities and culture, and I just sort of realised one day, hey, I can do this too, and I just started doing it and using my variable skill sets to do what I do and gravitating towards things that I felt were useful to help create a better world, but that I was also really passionate about doing. Mm. Um, so I just tell people, to you know, jump on Eco Shout or some some other thing that you know, come into 3CR and test the water, see what you're passionate about, and start walking the walk. Start um, walking the walk, yeah. Not just talking the talk. Exactly. Well, you've got to talk the talk, and then you walk, walk the, the walk. walk. It's all kind of like. All right. <laughs> Look, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You too, Joe. I'm going to I'm going to give you an invitation. I give rarely give mm. on mm. air. Now, I'd like you to come to my funeral. Oh, oh. You're the type of person I would love to come to my funeral. I want, what an honour. I'm, st- I'm starting to plan, you know, because I'm getting to that age. You've got to start planning those things. I'm very good at funerals too, so. Well, so am I. Yeah. But, but I thought it would be, you know, you'd be the type of person I'd like to have there, full of life, bubbly, oh. something, you know, it's contributed to the world. And I'm, it's been an honour talking to you. Thank you. And I wish you and... Uh, you know, the people you're involved with, all the best for the future. And uh, it's great to see people of your age, and there will be every generation there will be people of your age. Totally. And are, I'll be in your spot interviewing someone like me when I'm I'm here. sure you will be. I'm sure to hand, I'm happy to hand oh. over the microphone. Oh. Unfortunately, it's a 3CR program, so you'll have to go through the committee. <laughs> but you've got, you've got an invitation to my funeral. You're beautiful. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure I'll talking I'll be there to you. with bells on. All right. Now, you keep talking. I'm going to open the door. Now, you open the door and see if there is some... Some person uh, out some there. Some people waiting for us. Boom. And let, let them in. Thank you very much, Thank Suze. you for having Shalom. me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And take that horrible mo- mobile phone with you with <laughs> all those notes. Oh, you rat bag. <laughs> Keep my body still 